to be in the house. With all you smiley people, I can see some of you are like, oh no, not that guy again. It can't be his turn. Where's Ryan? Ryan, come back. All is forgiven. We got it. Well, it's going to be fun this morning. Just want to tell you that, uh, you know, we're in this series called Relatable. It's uh, just about love, sex. Never hear that word enough in church. Uh, singleness. And, uh, and there's so much going on in this kind of series that we're unpacking. Uh, two weeks ago, Ryan spoke into marriage, which is just this amazing kind of journey that we're on together. Last week was uh, Nikki on uh, wives, and then this week you've got the ultimates. You've got AJ talking to husbands. Can all the men just say, okay? <laughs> all the women have been sharpening their elbows all week, waiting for this preach, ready for that or under the ribcage kind of jesting as we kind of go into this together. And so as we're kind of doing this, I'm, I'm pumped. There's, there's just so much I want to kind of share and impart. And I guess I'm going to have to just bank a lot of it for men's ministry and the way that we do and just really go for some highlights today as we kind of look at husbands. But it, it really relates so much to marriage. And so, excuse me. Just leading by example, Eric, about how husbands can, uh, you know, be a little bit more vulnerable, Eric. <laughs> We're speaking to, to kind of Ephesians. I want to preach from Ephesians 5, but for us to really get the heart of what takes place in Ephesians 5, I have to take the whole book of Ephesians. So I hope you've packed your lunches, hope you've got babysitters for the afternoon, because we're here to hear the whole of Ephesians 1 to 6 today. Relax. I've got uh, the Bible Project team. I love these guys. They give great summaries of an entire book. And I love it because it's pictures. Man, and I like pictures. And I love just getting the broad brushstrokes of what a full book, what this letter to the Ephesians church is all about. Sometimes we take out a verse here and there, and you're just like, you're getting like one pea on the side of your plate. You're not getting the rump steak, the chips, the roast veggies, the onion rings. You don't get all of that. You just get one of the vegetables. So I, I really want to just show you the plates. You can go home and feast yourself. Uh, and we're going to go in here. But let me just take you through this Ephesians. There's really two parts to it. You can see the way they've illustrated. The first three books of Ephesians is really Paul unpacking the gospel gospel afresh. He's talking about what Christ has done, what Jesus has done, and through Jesus, God is able to, His forgiveness and His grace, gather a people together. Not just His chosen people, the Jews, but everybody. The Gentiles get to come in as well. So that's Mark behind the sound desk. That's even uh, Daniel at the back there. Gentile, how's it my brew? And all of us together doing this family. And, and what he highlights is the fact that in the bottom there, you kind of just see uh, RIP, rest in peace. There's a, a, we are dead in our sins. We are kind of down and locked in with a kind of uh, selfishness, with kind of deceivedness in there. And the same spirit that brings Christ to life brings you and I alive. Not just alive, so like I'm on my own, but alive into a family which was previously just the Jewish, previously just God's chosen couple. Now it's everybody. We get to stand alive and we get to come into this. And then Paul prays because he's the guy pioneering our cause to the, you know, getting Gentiles into, into this family, this amazing family. And he prays this incredible prayer at the end of three, which is just, I wish, or I pray, sorry, not wish, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would really open your eyes to the love of Christ, how big it is. And I'm going to end with, there, with that prayer. 
uh, in the service. But then it moves across to a therefore. So all of this and what God is doing, therefore, how shall we live? That's you. That's us. Husbands, that's you. How do we live here? And he goes into kind of, all right, so we need to take off. Or there's actually, he goes into the whole spirit. We're under one spirit, one baptism, all of those kind of good things. And I, and I love the way they describe it and, and that Paul goes into it because we unify. We, we come together with that, but we're not uniform. So there's no Christian cookie cutter. You get a Christian and you get a Christian and you get a Christian and we all look the same when we come out the oven. no. We are all different, and it goes into that. There's one spirit, but many gifts, many gifts all here. We hear people praying out. We see things during the week as guys just go into social action and just bring the gifting that God's given us into action. And what does that do? That builds up the body. Who's the body? Take a look around. It's a good body. It's a colorful body. There's biceps. There's abs. There's all kinds of good things here. This is the body of Christ of which Jesus is the head. And so down the bottom, it just talks about Jesus being the head of this body. And as we go through this, as Travis is going to bring us this kind of passage in a moment, you'll see how interwoven Jesus and the body of Christ, husbands and marriage becomes. And so as we take off the old stuff and as we put on the new things, so we take off lies and we put on truth, as we take off drunkenness, the last one there, and we put on the Spirit of God and, and allow that to kind of enthuse us, not by alcohol, but by this incredible Spirit that gives us joy and freedom and we sing songs on our own and together, that allows us to see who Jesus is and it makes us a one person because we have one king and we all are the body as opposed to us thinking that we're heads, the superiority and all of that falls away. And it's in the context of that that we bring the verse this morning because it talks about husbands and wives. In the submission to Christ, husband and wives, it talks about bosses and employees, it talks about masters and slaves, parents and children, and all of these things fall under that Jesus Christ is the king, and we're there. And then he finishes off with this amazing uh, reminder that the enemy is out there with his fiery darts, and we need to put on the full armor of God. And I'm not sure that you've ever seen that armor of God in the context of who we are as Mary, the context and the sweep of Scripture, but it's just so powerful that we get to suit up and protect those areas of husband and wife, parenting, uh, employers and, and masters and slaves. All of that comes into that same protection. So I hope that just starts to, mm, a little taste or a little smell actually of rump steak and chips that you can smell as we look at scripture and the beauty of what it is that God's saying and how he speaks to us. And so Trevor, I just want you to come up if you could. We're gonna, he's going to read the passage that I, I want us just to digest today. He, Travis, is, um, is going to read it. But I want you just to note as he reads it, there's such an interwovenness between Christ and the church and husband and wife. Kind of relating this is, is it husband and wife situation, or is it really Jesus and church situation? You can't be clear, so just listen now as, as we kind of hear this verse. Travis, over to you. Submit yourselves, one another, out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, 
He who loves, sorry, he who loves his wife loves himself. Mm. After all, no one ever hated their own body, mm. but they, fe- they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Yeah. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Excellent. I hope you saw it. I hope you felt it. There's this mixture between husband and wife, Jesus and the church. And then he says there's this profound mystery that this is Jesus and the church that we're talking about here. And then at the last verses, there's like, oh, yes, and by the way, husbands kind of, you know, and wives, you know, so it's just this amazing kind of uh, overflow of Paul as he kind of looks at this passage. And so as I want to look at husbands, I kind of have to start with marriage because the definition of husband is uh, one, a guy that is married <laughs> in that sense. And so I, I want to kind of you know, ask this, the singles in the room, what is it that you kind of expect from marriage? What, what is it that draws you to marriage or what is your view of marriage? Because maybe you're not drawn to it. What is it, is it that you see? How do you define that? I know that when I was younger, uh, and I, my first kind of thoughts and views of marriage was, hmm, marriage, that's where sex is legal. And then I get a little bit older, and then it's like, stop laughing, that's not really funny, this is how I grew up. Then I get a little bit older, and I realize the legalness of sex is it's, it's a little bit more blurry to actually where it's actually defined to marriage. And when I got to that stage of life, I really had to think in myself a little bit more, how do I understand church? How do I understand marriage? How do I see that now? And is it something that's so valuable that I actually want to invest in myself for, for a later thing? Is it so precious to God that I'm willing to forgo things now because I want to invest in my marriage? And that was long before I met Kerry. That was long before I could afford a house and three kids. In fact, I can't afford three kids still. And it was long before I left mom's house or school. Those thoughts were coming. And so my kind of statement to you is that marriage and that husbandry starts way before we get into marriage itself and the way we look at things. And so kind of with that in mind, that responsibility of becoming a husband starts early. The training of being a husband starts early. And so I want to ask you the question, because you can be single and looking in, you can be older and reflecting, you can be in the fight and in the mix. I want to ask you this morning, what is the mission of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? And maybe somebody wants to be crazy or bold enough to, to kind of shout out something. What is, the, what is your purpose for marriage? What is, what is your kind of idea? Is it romance? Babies. Babies. <laughs> Go skip romance, straight to babies, baby. I love it. Romance didn't get much, so it's not about romance, people. Singles, marriage is not about romance. What about finance? Is, is marriage about finance? The death of finance. You can see another worldview there. That's great. Uh, you got to the babies. That's the death of finance. So you can just hold on to that. There's another series coming on that. Or is it kind of just, you know, friendship or, uh, or, or kind of relationships? What, what is it that you have? Is it having a house? Is it doing those things? Each of us will have been grown up in a context of marriage, and that would bring us to an idea of what marriage is. But as you can hear, and as we can hear with the silence of you guys, we haven't really got that brimming over, what is it about? And I've 
recently stumbled across the definition by Tim Keller of the mission of marriage is, and I love it because it's simple and I personally can even understand it. And he says, the mission of marriage is deep character change through deep friendship. The mission of marriage is deep character change through deep friendship. Now, I've been practicing husbandry for about 24 years now. My wife will tell you that I'm still learning and uh, still developing in that. But I have to be honest with you, this resonates with my 24 years of banging my head and Kerry's 24 years of experiencing me bang my head uh, in marriage. And it's incredibly because it's liberating in so many ways. Deep character change. That's us. That's your spouse. There's this need for growing up, this need for change. So if we unpack this deep character, what is it? Well, I have three kids, 17, 15, and 13. See you girls. Stop smiling. I can see those masks on there. And I want to say, I used to think that I could just sit back and watch my kids grow up. I had no idea that I was the one that was going to do the growing up. It is just so unfair. There's another phrase that I love, which is just like, Getting old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. And these are such truths of kind of just the, the complacency that we have. We think things are just going to happen. But I want to say, just like your parents, when you were younger, were expecting you to grow in responsibility. Just like your employer, your boss, or if you're the boss, just like you expect your employees to grow in responsibility. We're talking about develop. Husbands, your wives expect you to grow in responsibility and pack the dishwasher occasionally. would be very nice. But in reality, Jesus wants you to grow in responsibility. Listen to this. Hebrews 5.11 doesn't get more direct than this. We have much to say about this, but, we, uh, but it is hard to make it clear to you, listen to this tone, because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though it is by sorry, in fact, by this time you should ought to be teachers. You need someone, but actually you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word again. You need milk, not solid food, that rump steak. It's gone, mwah, mwah, bottle with a neat on the top. The ushers are handing it in as we come in. You need more than just the bottle of what we do on Sundays. You need so much more. Anyone who lives on milk alone is still an infant, is not kind of acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, interesting phrase, have trained themselves, there's another interesting phrase, to distinguish between good and evil. And I love this, this mandate to grow, this uh, push and drive for us to, to see ourselves do better. For God wants to do more. But I have to ask you the question as we talk about growth, in your Christian walk, in your relationship with Jesus, in the way that you see God, do you see a need to grow? Do you need to change? If I say deep character change, like uh -uh, I did that in Sabi, and I did that again in Matric with that little instance, but I'm done with that. I'm perfect as I am. How do you see it? Because there is a real need for us to see the need to change. And I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Because 
in, if we go back to the very beginning, where it all happens, in the garden, baby, in the garden, Gen 2, 25, says this, Adam and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. In the garden, hey? So this is nothing on. In the garden, baby, they felt no shame. I just need you to take on that thought and that process. Because later in, in Genesis 3, 5, it says, this is the serpent speaking, and it just says, and you will, will you certainly die? Can I ask the question? The serpent said to the woman, and God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will know good and evil. There's another phrase of that, good and evil. And so there's the, the picture that was sold. Eve then picks up the fruit. She takes a bite. She eats of that forbidden fruit, the only one that God asked them, asked them, asked them not to eat. She eats of it. And you know what she does then? It's profound. She passes it to her husband who's standing next to her. Unbelievable. And then you know what? He eats it. It's just this kind of craziness of a husband and wife in the garden together in that moment. We both have to own that situation and what took place in that moment. And then in Genesis 3, it talks about just, it says that the man and his wife. So the husband, which is what we're talking about, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day, as God does. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? And he answered, uh, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and I was naked, so I hid. This incredible truth happens as we fall in the Garden of Eden as, we, as sin enters into the world. Before sin comes, we were naked and not ashamed, baby. Sin comes into the world and suddenly shame. We are naked and shamed. Shame is this incredible thing, this, this vulnerability that comes. We, 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 we feel vulnerable when we're shamed. We feel kind of, um, kind of out uh, and and. and, and Kind of we need to protect ourselves. And this is the fundamental of sin as it comes into the world. This is the, need, the reason that we need to change is that from that moment on and even now as we are born into this world, we are born from our forefathers, Adam and Eve. So that sin that they did is now within our DNA and it comes through to us as we live. And we live born into that shame of sin. Born into that kind of vulnerability, uh, that the, the deep exposure. And what happens is as we feel that, and you'll feel it from time to time. You'll feel it some days more than others. But we start to develop defense mechanisms. We start to try and hide ourselves, that vulnerability we feel. We throw ourselves into work so that we would be validated by the people around us. Like, he's so good, he's so clever, or he's so successful. It's like, yeah, look at me, I'm, I'm no longer ashamed. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer vulnerable. But this deep thing drives us and presses us. Maybe it's men going into sports, like, check how many Ks I did on Strava, bro. I'm like out there five days a week and all weekend. Look at me. I'm wonderful, I'm strong, looking for validation. Maybe it's, if you're in the singles, it's into kind of relationships and sex. You're trying to hide and find that kind of um, validation from something else. But we, we learn those defense mechanisms and they drive us. And this is the very essence, the very need for us to have the gospel. Because Jesus died on the cross. His body was broken, poured out, so that we could put on the robes of His righteousness. That's what God calls it. To cover ourselves so that we no longer 
have to defend ourselves against that shame. The righteousness of Jesus covers us, and that shame no longer drives us because we are now in righteousness. And that's an incredible truth of who Jesus is. Maybe you haven't kind of seen that truth before. Romans 5 verse 12 just talks about the Adam here, and it just says, Therefore, just as sin entered in the world through one man, death through sin, in this way death has come to all people because all have sinned. And so there's that blanket statement that we've all sinned. And then it goes on in verse uh, 17. It just is the good news here, and it just says, For if by trespasses, um, sorry, by the trespasses of one man, which is Adam, death um, reigned through that one man, how much more to those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and through the gift of righteousness, look at it, reign in life. Just amazing turner of events, how through Christ we get to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And this is that moment in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed and sin entered the world. God's love for us didn't stop. He came up with that plan to see Jesus come. His love for us burned towards us to see us redeemed, to see us made whole again. And he sends his, his son his only son, to die for us so that we could be redeemed again. So that love story and message, you can see it all the way through the Old Testament of God pursuing us, pursuing us, coming to us. Jesus comes, and he, today he still pursues us. In Revelations, the last book of the Bible, it says that he is standing at the door of your heart right now this morning, if you haven't received him, knocking. It says, will you come in? Would you let me in? And I'll eat with you and you with me. And God is looking for this deep relationship. Men, God is looking for deep relationship with you. It is the way that he's made things. He isn't hiding away from it. His love through the generations is coming to this moment, to where you are now. And this is what God wants to see. Whether you've been saved for four minutes or 40 years, God's prophet and kind of speaking to you is coming now and consistently onto your life. And he is clothing that shame that drives us so often. And so that is the fundamentals of kind of why we need to change, what it is that God's working into us and how he works. And now I'm going to transition just a little bit from a point of view of into this marriage. Sometimes people say that marriage is just a piece of paper. I've heard that a number of times as I kind of hang out with friends and do pastoral things. It's just like, that's just a piece of paper. We love each other. We'll just live together and, and kind of, you know, and that's how we'll do it. We don't want to get caught up in the whole marriage thing. And I want to say that's convenience for many of us. That's just like going to the convenience store, you get what you want, uh, but as soon as that convenience store is closed, you're like, uh, or they don't have stock, you go to the next convenience store. It's just convenience for us. But marriage is a deep, lifelong covenant. It's like you don't get more different than convenience store and marriage, this covenant that we make. And the beauty of covenant, not the convenience and just this, but the beauty of making a commitment to God and before all your friends usually uh, dressed up and this great moment that we make called a wedding is that it brings security. It builds a, a, a wall around the two of you as a couple. You are now able to be vulnerable with each other. You are now to, you can go into some of that stuff, the vulnerability and the shame that you've got. You can start to open your hand. doesn't happen on honeymoon. Just want to let you know, guys, uh, it, it doesn't happen there. Give it a little time and it'll come 
to that and you'll start to feel comfortable to open your hearts and be able to reflect a little bit more. I know that when Kerry and I first announced we were getting married, I know a couple of the family members, their immediate response is like, ooh, why don't you guys just live together and see if you're compatible? And I was like, uh-uh, she's got an innie, i got an outie. We're compatible, man. This is easy. We're going to get in there. But it goes so much further than just that, so much further than those things. That, that kind of relationship that we have is just so deep in so many aspects. And sometimes you kind of just want to say, listen, I'm going to wait for Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright. I want to say he doesn't exist, nor does she. That's just in a Fair Lady magazine somewhere. And if you do find her, I want to promise you that there will be seasons that her perfection will rub you up the wrong way, baby. That quietness about her that you fell in love with, that kind of organizational skill that she's got was just like, Mwah! when you first met her and just amazing. You know, those kind of things. I'm not speaking from my own experience, of course, because um, that would just be rude, but it's just going to rub you up. And the reason for that is that we are in a process of deep character change. And we need to deal with ourselves as much as the other party in this. There's two broken bits coming together in marriage. And husbands, you get to be in that. You're in the mix with that. So in this relationship, we now have this vulnerability, this covenant relationship. We're now able to start to express and open up our vulnerability. Men, I don't want you to miss this moment. I don't want you to miss the moments because it comes in different phases. I want you to be looking for those moments of vulnerability in your spouse, but also in yourself. And I want you to be able, within the context of marriage, not to see your marriage as convenience, but it's a covenant, which means that there are, she, you know, you, there's no running away. This is a lifelong commitment. This is pushing on. I want you to open up those vulnerabilities because... God wants you to change. God wants the deep character movements, and God actually orchestrates many of those moments so that you have the opportunity to change, to grow, and to see those things done. I know this is a time for men to put on their big boy panties and to really face up to some of the challenges that we're heading into here. But Ephesians 4 kind of underpins this in verse 17. It just says, So I tell you this and insist on it, uh, in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do, in the fertility of their thinking. They are darkened by their understanding, and they are separated from the life of God because of ignorance. Isn't it amazing? Just separated from God. We want to be all in with God. We don't want to be separated, so we want to be asking God to kind of help us with our ignorance. Men, that's you. Help us with that. That's... Um, that, it is, that it's in them and the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, just amazing how they describe this, they are given themselves over to sensuality so that they may indulge in every kind of impurity and they are uh, full of greed. And so there's this real reminder, snapshot view of uh, kind of men, marriage, what, what's happening here. And just God saying, don't be stuck in your hardness of heart. You need to know that you've got a hard heart. I'm telling you now, men, just, I'm not going to mince my words. You've got a hard heart. You need to work on that. I want to say that you are ignorant. You don't know everything that there is to know about God, about your wife. You need to go and find those things. You need to go and explore those things. Well, how do you do that? 
because you need to be changed. How do we get into that? How do you unpack that ignorance that you have? In deep friendship. Friendship's not a word we talk about often enough, as far as I'm concerned. But in a marriage context, it kind of cuts through all the rest. You are interested in the person. You're interested in them. You look at their eyes, and it's, it's the connection that you have. We need to be working on those friendships. We need to be developing that. Man, we need to be pursuing, again, trying to find out, dealing with your ignorance. And if you've been married for uh, 40 years or plus, or even five years and plus, because men, you're slow learners, it doesn't really matter, in that space, I want to say, I think there's, I've had coffees with guys that are just feeling like, eh, we, we never get to the bottom of this issue. I'm just going to leave it. We, we, we are okay with it. We'll just, you know, put a fence around that issue. And we're, when it comes up, we're just like, okay, it's fine. I want to say, don't, don't waste a good crisis. I think Daniel always says that to me when we talk. Don't waste a good crisis in that getting stuck in. Hear what it is. Understand the heart of the issue, the, the real need that comes from that you must just dial it back to Adam and Eve in the garden. There is a vulnerability. There is a shame that's hidden in there somewhere that the devil has brought in. And we need to unpack that. We need to find, make and create safe places to have those conversations and to look at that. And we don't get to do that alone. We get to do it in community. But most importantly, we get to do it with the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. One of that big slide that we had, the Holy Spirit comes on us. It's, it's something that empowers us. Now, the Holy Spirit is this amazing thing. It's like the oil in your car engine. Okay, now I'm talking to the men. Actually, that's a sexist comment. I'm not talking to the men. I'm talking to us. Oil in the car engine, baby. Without the oil in the car engine, you know it makes this horrible grinding noise. There is, uh, you lose power. That doesn't you can't pull away. My mom knows that. She says I can't pull the rice off a skill. Uh, uh, what's it? The rice, rice of a. Uh, 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 oh, I can't remember. I lost the. Yes, skin off a rice pudding. That's what. She, when I bought her a new car, she said, "Listen, AJ, this car is nice and everything, but it can't pull the skin off a rice pudding." And this is like she wants black lines down the street. The oil in your engine, basically without it, there's so many moving parts. There's so much wear that takes place. There's sparks. There's friction. There's heat. Eventually, things wear out, break, burn out, or even just weld and melt together, and it's a mess. It's hard to fix an engine that's been driven without oil in it. In fact, it's not. You replace it. The Holy Spirit is that oil. All those moving parts, it stops the rub. Things can move past each other effortlessly. Without the noise, no damage. It can run for many years. It empowers and you go places. This is the Holy Spirit in your relationship. This is the Holy Spirit in your marriage. Bringing that freedom, bringing that energy, giving you the power to go through things. The amazing thing in this particular verse that we went through now is just talks about that very first line that Travis opened with was, submit yourselves to one another in reverence to Christ. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, that is exactly, I love the way that Paul kind of goes into the Holy Spirit, it's outpouring and it's massiveness and it's like booming goodness. It's like being drunk, but just on the Spirit of God, it's like celebratory and fun and everything else. And then it dives straight into marriage, straight into this relationship that we have, how, God in, uh, how the Spirit empowers us in this. And the main thing that the Holy Spirit does, very simple, he puts Jesus on the throne. He enlightens Jesus. He shows and puts the spotlight on Jesus. And he sits in his rightful place in our eyes. He allows us to see who Jesus is. And what that does is it allows us 
to get onto the plane that we are. It allows us to submit to one another because Jesus is king. We are just his body. In his body, we are all on the same plane, which means for the first time I can take my eyes off myself because I'm not on the throne. And when I take my eyes off myself, I start to notice the people around me immediately. start to see their needs. Like, whoo, hello, didn't see that before. Like, oh, yeah, oh, really? You struck me? Oh, I can't believe that. It's amazing work. The selflessness that comes when the Holy Spirit is at work is amazing. This week, I just saw a team of guys from this community lean in and sacrifice precious time, finances, and resources to help somebody in need, to to push past, and it's a messy situation, difficult things. They weren't skilled. They didn't have all the background knowledge of how to do it, but they lent in, and they relentlessly saw this thing through, as uncomfortable as it was to it. And I just saw community in action. I saw selflessness of people pouring themselves out to see somebody else restored and protected and looked after. And it it gives me goosebumps to talk about it now, but it was just the church in action. And I just want to commend you as God first, just to to kind of that selflessness that well up in us is power to our city. It will restore our nation. So with this selflessness, I'm wrapping up because I can see the, the lunchtime blues are kicking in already, but there are three superpowers, men, that you get from being selfless. First superpower, you ready for it, Captain Underpants? First superpower that you get is that you get to be able to receive criticism without being crushed. If Jesus is on the throne, your security is on your king. Your security is what Jesus has done for you. You draw your strength from him. What people say is like, me, 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 boom from the heaven, boom from the kingdom of God. You are able to withstand that criticism. And that is a superpower, ladies and gentlemen. You don't get tangled in that stuff. You're able to let things wash over and past you. The second superpower, Captain Underpants, is this. You get to give criticism without crushing somebody. When Jesus is on the throne and we are all submitted to one another, your heart towards other people is changed. You no longer have all the answers. You are coming in to say, hey, this is it. You start to see their needs and you bring your kind of input criticism to the situation with a heart of compassion and love. You get to give it without crushing people. Man, I know people where you just follow them and there's just bodies everywhere. Just crush, crush, crush as you go. And that just comes out of a deep insecurity. I want to say to you, exercise your second superpower. The third superpower that you have is that you get to forgive without that residual anger. You get to let things go because ultimately your security is in God. Your security is in Jesus. What they do and have done to you is nothing in comparison to what we've done to Jesus and what he's been through. And so we hold on to that. We hold on to Jesus in that, and it helps us. It's not easy at first. It's a, the oil needs to get in between that crankshaft and the, uh, and the pistons. It needs to get into that space before you get to exercise it. But this comes from maturity. These superpowers you get to exercise. You get it wrong sometimes? I'll give you that. But the more you exercise them, like that verse that we spoke about, the more you practice them, the better you get at looking at seeing good and evil and doing those things. This is a consistent practicing application for us. And so here it is, Ephesians 2. We're coming into land. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is not from yourselves. Can I just say it one more time because it feels meaningful? It is not from yourself. So it's not about you, but it is a gift 
from God, not by works, so you don't have to earn it. It's a gift from God. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. I think we need to remember that more. We are God's handiwork. His fingerprints are all over. While you are still in mom's tummy, you are being fearfully and wonderfully made. Men, that's you too. As big and as large and as hairy and as ugly as you are, God's work was there. He was molding you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works. That's what you're made for, to do good works. Not just to get on with life and do what you want, but to do good works, which God has prepared for you in advance. So you're tag-teaming with God. He goes ahead, you get to do the work. Amazing, isn't it? This relationship with God, who we are as men, as husbands, is an amazing relationship. So if you find yourself struggling with any one of those superpowers, I want to say, would you go back to this verse, this Ephesians 2, 8. Would you let it sink in? Would you wrestle with it for days, for weeks, for months if you have to? But I want it to move from your head just as Scripture and say, fine, I want to move it to your heart. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who my God is. There's much to be done. There's much maturing to be had. Marriage, husbands, is a deep character change through deep friendship. And I want to commission you to work on your friendships. I want to commission you to make moments, to make it a priority, to take your eraser, tipex, and whatever else, and delete those other things which rise its, or raise themselves above that you use to deal with your shame and your vulnerabilities and to put it in the right order. Jesus at the top. Our marriage is first. This is the only covenant relationship that you ever make in your life. This is where it needs to be, right up in covenant space. This is not convenience. This is covenant space. And so with this kind of cementing, I want the men to stand. The band can come up. You can turn on that fan because it's getting hot up the front here. And I just want to pray, men, over you. I'm praying from Ephesians. You can see that I love this book of Ephesians. And I want to pray this prayer over you. So if you are a man, you don't have to be married yet. Or now, I just want to pray over you, men, because there's something special that God wants to do in you and through you.